I mean, look, even Nicholas just said like a hundred times, Tiger's the best that I've ever seen. Would you all just leave me alone? <laughs> Stop trying to Let me up. suffer. Like, I just want to be miserable. Welcome back, everybody, to the Big Players Only Podcast, a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network. We are the best place to catch up on golf from around the world, including the golf of your favorite big players, Ben, Josh, Tyler, Tully, Colin, and Kenny Oneput. We will kick things off with a recap from the Tour Championship at Eastlake this past week. Victor Hovland wins his second tournament in a row, taking the BMW and now the Tour Championship. His golf this week was inspiring. He looks like he is on the precipice of being one of the best golfers in the world. We'll talk about predictions for Victor as well as other storylines from the Tour Championship. We'll talk about the Ryder Cup after that. Zach Johnson, the U.S. captain, has made his six captain's picks. We'll talk about who got in and who just missed out and then to round out the episode we'll talk about the frederick city amateur this past weekend which i got to play in and all my boys showed out to support me on sunday an awesome experience we'll talk about some of the highs and some of the lows and what the spectating experience was like for all the people that came out and then we'll talk about league roundup from this year how the regular season finished and what we're looking like headed into the playoffs thanks everyone for joining us if you haven't yet head on over to instagram and follow us at big players only pod hope you enjoy the episode all right the pga tour season we got it under our belts. We got Tour Championship wrapped up this past Sunday. You know, going into the year, if you would have told me that Victor Hovland was going to be a runaway victor at the Tour Championship, no pun intended, runaway victor at the Tour Championship, <laughs> beating Xander Schauffele, I might have been like, wait, what about Rory? What about Scotty? What about Cantley? What about all these guys that are on our radar? Well, they were all kind of up there, man, but this is the Victor show. Victor Hovland wins the BMW, comes in, uh, two shots back of Scotty Scheffler at Eastlake. Absolutely destroys it. I think the Kyle Porter was tweeting what he called the shadow leaderboard or the leaderboard of what these guys actually shot, less the strokes that they started with. And and Victor and Xander were, I don't know, 10 shots clear of anyone else in the field. And Victor won by five over Xander and five over third place. So it's just uh, pretty, It's it seems fitting. It seems like we've seen Victor ascend to become a great golfer we knew the shortcomings in his game, his chipping, his putting, his course management maybe from time to time. He's worked really hard on that. I saw some PGA Tour posts about the short game coach he's been working with and how the short game coach said, hey, we just introduced some statistics, some data to Vic to teach him like what a steep attack angle does and chipping and stuff like that. And he said the kid's like a sponge. He didn't have to tell him more than once how to do it. And all of a sudden, Victor's like, now he's got a short game. You know, give me your comments on Victor at the Tour Championship. And I think the ultimate question is, does Vic, does he rank up in that S tier with Rory, uh, Scotty, and Rom now? In terms of Vic's performance and everything, it was phenomenal. I think him and uh, Xander technically tied if you're going, like, on that shadow lead, leaderboard or whatever, yep. so they both played really, really great golf. But it's it's just great to see him finally coming around. You're talking about all his the coaching, the you know, new changes. I think he's got like a mental coach he's even worked with. Like yeah. it's really just trying to get him to stop being as aggressive or like basically time it. Like I was listening to him on McAfee today and he was saying how, yeah, but they really didn't tell me like stop being aggressive, but it's just like when it's a tucked pin, just like aim a little bit more towards the middle of it, but like still go at it. And like it, how that's changed his game. Obviously we've mostly seen it here in these last, you know, two months maybe that he's kind of turned it on here. It's great to see him finally take that step and stop. You know, he was kind of like collapsing in the, all the big tournaments, like your majors where he would always be in contention. He's finally kind of taking that step when it's, I think he's separating himself from, I think I've said this before, but he's separating himself from that class that he came in with, like passing a Morikawa and um, obviously a Matt Wolf. I don't know if he's quite at John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, and honestly, I don't think Rory deserves to be in that conversation as of right now in his play like this year. He Rory he or Rom? Rory. The past six months, Rory's been the best golfer in the world. Go on. Has he? Vic won like three times. In the well, like, in the last month, it's been Vic. Sure. But I, I just don't, I don't think Rory hasn't, I think 
Scotty and Rom have shown the ability to win majors over the last couple of years. I think Vic needs to get that major win under his belt before you can put him in that. He have this consistent play and be able to close out the biggest tournaments, which we kind of saw, you know, this past week. But it's you know the Tour Championship isn't Augusta National. I loved your comment about course management because normally course management for guys at that level is they shoot themselves out of the tournament on Thursday and Friday because they're too aggressive, right? So when you look at a leaderboard and, I don't know, Russell Henley shot seven under in round one, but then Scotty's only two or three under, but he's still better like in the Vegas odds. That's because they know Scotty's just plotting his way along. And Vic had always been good at that, playing aggressive golf, but playing consistent golf. And then it felt like on Sundays, he was too aggressive. We saw it at the PGA Championship when he hit that, that shot in a lip of the bunker, shots like that. So course management for Vic has been a really big thing. It's so impressive that I don't think we've ever seen a turnaround like this where one aspect of the game just completely flips on its head for a player. I mean, Lucas Glover a little bit with his putting that we've seen towards the end of this year. But Vic, like you've seen the Instagram clips going around this week about how bad he used to be at chipping. I, I mean, I think before the match play this year, he like had the quote like, well, if I didn't have to putt, I'd be like so much better at this game. I'd be winning so many tournaments. And uh, it's it's really impressive just the way he's turned it around the the streak that he's been on the past two weeks. I mean, this, he is what three, he had three wins now. And I think the PJ championship to me, watching that final round, him going toe to toe with Brooks until he caught that bad break in the bunker was where you really saw like, okay, this kid has turned it around. He's, he's going to be winning a lot soon. And I think this is just the beginning for him, which is scary as a U.S. Ryder cup fan. But um, yeah, I mean, look, look down the stretch here. You, you talk about comparing him to Scheffler and Rom. Like, Scheffler, with his putting woes right now, like, he was a non-factor this weekend, which is not what anyone thought would be the case heading in with his the lead he had. And Vic just completely blew him out of the water. Yeah, so Scotty shoots one under, technically, over four rounds, and Victor Hovland shoots 19, 19 under. Pretty outrageous, that variance. Yeah, I mean, the variance between... Vic and Xander versus the field was exceptional. Uh, the closest person was Wyndham Clark. Speaking of the Ryder Cup, great to see he was, you know, yeah, playing he showed well up. there. He showed up well. He was, he was seven shots back of them, if you're looking at, like, actually what they played. So it was a, a two-man race by all counts, if you're looking at it, in terms of how the golf is actually played. But it does kind of stink because I think Xander was probably four or five shots back of him, uh, Victor, at the start of it, which kind of, like, again, is maybe a downside to this format, but... In, in four rounds of golf, it's tough to, like, put it on, like, an apples-to-apples spectrum because, like, you know, Scotty misses. He's missed cuts before, but, like, no one has ever or maybe will ever again beat Scotty by, what do we say, 18 strokes in four rounds of, of tournament play. Especially I, this year when we're talking about the year that Scotty's had, like, strokes gain-wise. He is, like, his, historically best. incredible. The sixth best ever in the top five are owned by Tiger. And Vic just blew him out of the water two weeks in a row. Pretty outrageous. Yeah, and like you look at his stats-wise, he really wasn't all that bad. Like he was kind of middle of the pack um, most of the stats. You know, not one under versus a you know a nineteen under, but he was thirtieth in putting. He was just so like he couldn't couldn't buy a putt out there this week. Victor Hovland picks up <clears throat> almost five shots on the field off the tee, almost five shots on the field approach to green, one point one strokes around the green. Four, almost, well, three and a half strokes putting and 11 strokes together, or 14 strokes, strokes gain total, 10 tee to green. Unbelievable stuff. And I think the thing about Victor is I never really thought Vic was a terrible putter. I kind of like his motion. I like the putter he uses. He kind of, maybe even more famously before Wyndham and Ricky did the counterbalance putter, Vic has always had that long ping putter that has about two or three inches behind his hands. And I think his putting may have looked bad because he was putting so much pressure on it with his poor chipping. So when you have a 10-footer for par and not a 3-footer for par, it probably makes your putting look a little bit more unsteady, but his chipping has in turn made his putting better as well. I think Vic was on like the 15th hole because I on like Sunday morning or Saturday morning or something like that, I saw I, I was sitting there and I was like, if Xander hits this fairway on number one, or if he misses the fairway on number one, I'm going to put 10 bucks on him. So I did. So I was following Xander throughout the weekend. And Vic... I think Xander got to within three of Vic there on the back nine, and Vic hit a, a second shot on a really long par four. He had like 210 yards into a par four, left it short, chipped it to like 18 feet or so, and they said that if he made this putt, it was the longest putt he will have made all week. He drained it, and then he made like two or three more 10-plus footers coming in down the stretch to win by five, but 
That was his MO last week, too, when he shot that 61 or whatever. Right. He was just, he had like eight foot birdie putts on every single hole down the stretch. And I think that's kind of like his whole stick is like, I don't need to be a great putter. I need to be able to get up and down when I miss screens because I'm being aggressive and I need to be good inside 15 feet. Yeah. I mean, it's birdie opportunities for these guys. I mean, because they can, and especially him now that he's got a short game fix, he, they're going to get up and down more times than not from unless it's, you know, a brutal situation. So it's just a matter of, you know, and that's why Scotty's, even though he hasn't been able to putt, has been so good is because he's just on the green. So he's getting at least a chance. And if every so often, you know, they're inside of that 10-foot mark, 15-foot mark, you know, more times than not, these guys just bury it. Obviously, Vic's been in the limelight for a few years now, but it's really been refreshing seeing him get all the coverage this past two weeks and, like, He's just a normal, like, down to earth, like, eating his I, chips I don't and say guac kid, from Chipotle like, after his guy, win. Yeah. Kinda, like, they just, ask him what he's going to spend his money when he's like, I don't know. He was just like, I just want to go hang out with my friends at home. It's it's great. And he was like, Yeah, that money goes a long way in Stillwater. Stillwater. <laughs> I will say, you know, speaking again to Vic Short Game, when I was watching on Saturday, once I had put 10 bucks on Xander, Vic pulled his second shot on 14 pretty badly into the grandstand. He got a TIO relief, but it didn't help the shot. The shot was still incredibly difficult. It was one of those short game shots that you know you can't get close, but you don't want to turn it into a disaster, right? He's kind of 10 feet below the green, short-sided with a bunker out of thick rough. He throws this pitch shot like a foot on the green over the bunker. It still rolls out to the fringe on the other side, but it's the best he could have done. And I was like really impressed that it spoke, spoke to how good his short game is getting and his course management. You know, this was, was not a time to try and get too aggressive and bring double into play. Shout out Jay Lindbergh. Yeah, his his fits, man. It's 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 like I kind of look forward to him now. I know they were getting a lot of <laughs> flack in the media, but I'm like, man, what's Vic wearing today? And when he wears like the orange pants and the white top, I'm kind of like, boring. <laughs> you got to go on their website. They have some ridiculous <laughs> polos outside of what you. And see you've got Vic what in. four coming probably. Yeah, yeah. I, you got to imagine he's gonna if he starts if he wins like a major in the next year like. Well, I'm gonna say one of the you know big one Augusto or the Open sort of situation. You're gonna see people wearing a lot of Jay Lindbergh. Oh, I love it's it. gonna it's gonna be the Ricky Fowler treatment where everyone's in that you know a bright orange kind of situation, but it's gonna be you know really complex patterns. And I kind of felt like the rhetoric was like Vic was saying, "I just wear what they tell me to wear," and now I kind of feel like he's like embracing it. He's like, "Yeah, I'm a Jay Lindbergh guy, and you're gonna know who I am because I got the crazy patterns on." So let's look at the rest of this top 10, man. We got just Ryder Cup people littered in this top 10, which I guess we would expect to see, but it's so balanced. So Victor for Team Europe wins. Xander, Team USA, second. Wyndham Clark in third for Team USA. Rory in fourth. Cantley in fifth. Tommy Fleetwood, Scotty Scheffler, Colin Morikawa in sixth. Sam Burns, Matt Fitzpatrick, Max Homa, and then the one guy that didn't make it in, Keegan Bradley, all in T9, right? So just talk about... Heading into the Ryder Cup, you got all these guys in such good form. I mean, a lot of them started a few under par, but a lot of them played their way into the, the top 10 as well. So looking forward to the Ryder Cup, I mean, lots of these guys are playing really good, so I'm excited for that. As a Morikawa homer, I just want to push back on what Tully said a little bit about Hovland standing out in that group. I think it's still too early. It's a what have you done for me lately. I get it. He won the past two weeks, but Morikawa, everyone's been down on his season he had the statistic, statistically had his best season on tour. Like he's very close. I, I think we saw it this weekend. He went what nine under on this first round, tied for the lead after two rounds after starting one under when the leader was starting at ten under. Like that's pretty impressive. I know he he has troubles closing, especially this year, but I, I think he's right there um, to have a lot of success. Oh, I agree. I, I'm not out on Morikawa by any means, but I think I just meant like the big knock on Victor was kind of, you know, he wasn't finishing in bigger tournaments and now you're finally starting to see him do that. Because, I mean, he's probably been in contention as much as Morikawa in some of those bigger tournaments, if not more. Just Morikawa's managed to actually win two majors versus, you know, Vic Hatton and still hasn't. But I think if this same play we saw the last month continues and we'll see him kind of get uh, you know, two or two, maybe more majors in the next three years i think we're in an interesting era in golf right now where a lot of our top players have trouble closing and i think the only one that doesn't fit that mold is john rom when john rom's in contention it feels like he's closing tournaments i think that well rory in the majors for sure has had trouble closing 
Scotty only had two wins this year when he probably should have had maybe eight. Which is, that is, his stats are absurd. I mean, you got to only have two wins. Think about like Tommy Fleetwood and Patrick Cantlay. These guys are playing really good golf and they still like, I think Cantlay might have had one win this year. Fleetwood didn't win. Like we got a big problem with, with the guys closing. So I think this is a big chance for Victor to kind of break into that echelon of where Rom is, and I think that his game fits it really well where he's going to be able to start closing tournaments. He looked so solid down the stretch at the BMW. Well, crazy good at the BMW, and then really good this week at the Tour Championship. I think he's got that kind of game that's going to really hold strong under pressure. All right, and then a couple more talking points from the Tour Championship, right? Scotty continues to struggle putting. I don't know what's going on with him. I mean, when you watch his stroke, it doesn't inspire much confidence. When he missed that short putt at the BMW a couple weeks ago, we were like, oh, same old story. He comes in round one of the Tour Championship, 30th out of 30 in putting, loses three and a half strokes on the green. You know, we'll, we'll get to this later when we talk about the Ryder Cup, but, but Sam Burns being the sixth pick technically, I guess you would say, I think they're really, really interested in getting a guy to, to ride with Scotty that can give him a little confidence, that putts well, that can get him going, because right now Scotty's putting is atrocious. Yeah, I just it doesn't make any sense to me like how the putting stroke just goes. Yeah. Like, because at the beginning of the year, it was, you know, flat out 100% him and Rom going, you know, head to head, you know, uh, what Scotty defended the waste management. I think he putted fine in that and then won the players and he had to have, you know, putted pretty well at that if he won there. And then just out of nowhere, it seems to have just disappeared on him. And obviously, you know, it, stay, it stayed gone and it is a concern going into the Ryder Cup. Like, you put him in a singles match on Sunday where you're expecting him to be going head-to-head against, you know, one of the top European guys, and if he can't drain the putts, even big ones for, like, to save a par, that's going to be a big momentum issue. And I go back to the whole Vic conversation of Vic's short game got better, so his putting got better. So maybe you'd think, well, maybe Scott is now hitting his irons as well or not chipping it as close, and that's why his putting is going, but he's doing those just it. as well. It's just purely putting for Scotty. I feel weird kind of psychoanalyzing these professional players, but <laughs> I do feel like it's it's mental. It's His putting stroke doesn't look terrible. It's not like he's missing the ball. It's not like hitting the ball in the center of Man, the Man, if he starts race. missing the ball when he's putting, no, that's I mean, not, be not missing issue. the ball, but like, you know, like, uh, like Zalatoris, like when yeah. he hits it yeah, off yeah, the inside right. or like Glover like back jerky, in the day. So. Yeah, like it's not, that's not the issue. I think he's just like misreading or overreading greens. I don't know if it's like him and his caddy, the dynamic there, or if he just needs to just stop overthinking things, but it just seems to be mental more than like the physical putting stroke or the putter itself. Maybe Taylor made needs to make one of those jailbird putters in a spider version kind of thing. Him and Rory both. I mean, talk about like generational ball strikers that just sometimes the putter just goes and you don't know what, what happened. It's, it's missing three footers. It's hitting 30 footers, 10 feet by and no idea why. And it's so hard to even like, you're talking about psychoanalyzing. Like, these greens, we can't even imagine what it's like to put on most of these. Because even if you go and play these courses, they're not in those tour conditions. So it's so hard. And it's, it's got to be the smallest fraction of a thing, the difference between it going in and not going in. So it's hard to shit on him too much. But at the same time, at his level, like you got to be, you got to figure this out. Just got to be tour average, yeah. right? Not you, just not bottom yeah, of the barrel. You can't, you can't have the season he had statistically from tee to green and walk away with two wins, none of them being a major championship. Like, he was too dominant in every other facet that, you know, he's got to figure this out. I don't know how you fix it, though. I fully agree with you that it's a mental uh, deficiency for Scotty right now because when you look at, like, Denny McCarthy, right, what I think is one of the best putters in the world, nothing about his stroke or his green reading, per se, screams to me, like, that's why that guy is a great putter. Like, I think when Steve Stricker was putting really well and he was doing the locked arms with the heel off the ground and his stroke just looks so fundamentally pure. That's why he was making everything. I don't see that with Denny. What I see with Denny is like, we know that he was like a basketball player growing up and he's just kind of like a shooter. He just has like that mentality of like, like I'm going to pull up, I'm going to shoot and I'm going to make it. And it seems like Scotty, it just looks like he's got a little doubt in his mind when he's putting. Yeah, it felt was, I don't know if before Scotty was very like technical putter versus like a big feel putter. But I think maybe that's why we're seeing the issue is if, if he's super technical about it, it, so easy to then mentally feel like something's wrong and then actually the smallest little thing to be wrong versus someone that just walks up and be like, yeah, and just kind of sees it doesn't take forever over a putt. I think that's the initial reaction when you're not putting well or really when you're not doing anything in your game well is to turn to the technical side to say, okay, am I, are my eyes in the right position? Am I bringing the putter back on the right plane? Am I, you know, how's my grip pressure? How's my stance? How's my knee bend? Like you look at all these things to say, is that why I'm putting bad? 
when really it's probably like, I remember Rory said like, just be athletic. Like he's like, when I think about my swing and I think about what I'm doing, like, yeah, there's a couple things I'd like to tweak, but when it comes to crunch time, I just want to be athletic. And sometimes I think Scotty's not being the true athlete that he is. He's just getting really technical. With and it's it. gotta be hard when you're putting like versus, you know, a full fast swing. It's much easier to let your body's like natural tendencies take over versus you in a putter. Like it's so much touch and feel that goes on with it. Probably the same issues that, you know, would spill into say a Vic short game, you know, mm-hmm. during all that kind of stuff where it's just not that full athletic swing. It's all, all touch and feel. It feels like, in, and I'm not in, in any way of the same category, but like when I'm not putting good, I always think about, I'm not releasing the putter. Like I'm holding on to it. Like I'm trying to, aim the putt and push the putt down the line versus just stroking it and hitting it. And you think that probably with Victor's short game, he was probably getting short and stabby at it. Now he's a little longer. He's using the bounce a little more. Scotty's probably just, he's in his own head. His putting stroke is not, is not, he's not releasing it. He's not letting himself be the putter that he knows he is. He's trying to think about all the little changes he's making. It'll be interesting to see if at the Ryder cup, that change in format could get him right. Kind of thing where it's, it is, the you know particularly it's a one versus one situation or a two v two where it's it rather you're playing against a whole field or somewhat really just against yourself if that gets you know something changed mentally for him I think when when Scotty's got a twenty footer on the first hole to have the hole for birdie I think he's going to putt better than than he would in a normal tournament knowing like okay let's just make sure worst case we get a tap in par here like when it's yeah. when it's go go big or go home I think that Scotty's putting stroke will show up well there will only be 24 golfers on the course so he, don't, he won't have to be dealing with those bumpy greens that he's already <laughs> right not like Ben did this past <laughs> weekend right all right so let's jump into the Ryder Cup then we got our our captain's picks from Zach Johnson the U.S. Ryder Cup captain his six picks most of them weren't a surprise for us Jordan Spieth was not a surprise Colin Morikawa was not a surprise Brooks was not a surprise. These guys have all been playing really solid golf throughout the year. We know Brooks on a bit of a limited sample because I think most people are saying it's hard to gauge live. Brooks played incredible in the majors. So seeing Spieth, Murakawa, and Brooks on the team, no surprise there. We kind of knew the rhetoric was headed toward picking JT. We know that JT hasn't been playing good golf, but I think most of us agree that JT's record in Ryder Cup and match play formats is really solid. And then he's a great clubhouse guy. He's going to get the guys going. Once he gets that competitive nature kind of flowing, the blood pumping, I think JT probably will play just fine. And then the last pick, I think, caught us all a bit by surprise, maybe until yesterday. He really wasn't even on our radar. And we spoke to him earlier, and that's Sam Burns. And I think primarily Sam, well, he's he's a great golfer, right? And he's playing pretty good right now. He's not in his best form, but he's won in the past 12 months. He is a perfect pair for a guy like Scotty Scheffler. They're incredible friends. He's also really good friends, you know, with JT and Jordan, all those SEC schools. They all kind of grew up together and played together. Sam's an incredible clubhouse guy. He's got a lot of fire in him, and he's a great pair for Scotty. But do you guys think they missed the ball on this Sam Burns pick? Initially, I really hated it. I was like, what What are we doing here? It just felt random. It felt out of nowhere. Random. Boys uh, club. It, it, boys club. <laughs> it didn't feel like boys club at all. It, we would have had, you know, Phil Mickelson somehow making the team or something like that. But it, it felt it didn't make any sense. But the more I thought about it and the importance of Scotty Scheffler on this team, the more I ca- kind of came around to your thinking about it. You know, if that is what's going to get Scotty a little bit more comfortable and be able to go out and play the dominant golf that we expect from him, you have to make that pick. It, it seems like almost the only option. Like, I hate that Cam Young's not on this team. Like, I, I, it feels like he should have been in there in some sense. But at the same time, he had a similar season to Sam Burns where it really wasn't all that impressive. He didn't he didn't blow us away with a stellar rookie season like he did last year to get onto that President's Cup team. So it's, it, like, I initially hate it. I'm, we'll see how it plays out, you know, looking back on it, you know, that, you know a month from now or whatever. But I, if it gets Scotty going, I, it's, the, it's a great pick. And I think, right... These are the young guns. I think when you're grouping guys that made it in, I think if you were going to pick Sam Burns or Cam Young, you were going to pick them because they're the young kids that hit the ball far, that have a lot of raw talent. And then when you compare them on the greens, Sam Burns is a statistically much more consistent and fiery putter than Cam Young. And we know how important putting is in match play. And I think that's probably why the scale tipped in Sam Burns' favor. Yeah, I agree with Tully. I was uh, a little confused initial reaction, but now that I'm looking at it, it's... It's kind of like we have guys like we have Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon qualifying on points. So I feel like Zach Johnson, the quote unquote committee, whoever's running it for the U.S. Ryder Cup at this point, 
is saying, if you're going to pinhole us and give us those two guys qualified on points, we had nothing to do, or we had no say in selecting those guys. We're going to do everything we can to kind of build up the locker room, regardless of how these guys are playing right now. We're going to pick guys like JT, Sam Burns, guys who are friends with our studs, guys who have shown success in the past at these events. And uh, I think that that's a good strategy going into it. You know, when you think in, in, when you think about Cam Young, dude, like, yeah, he's a great golfer. He does not bring much to the table from, like, a fiery, like, camaraderie perspective. Like, yeah, he's he probably, very mellow. He'd probably be a lot of fun to play with because he's a great golfer. But, yeah, he doesn't really bring the fire. And Sam Burns is the exact opposite side of that spectrum. Sam's going to have a couple holes where he doesn't look that great, but then he's going to flip that switch and make birdie, 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 and that's kind of why you want him on the team. How do you guys feel about the fact that Brooks did end up making the team? Are we happy with that? I, I mean, I think overall he's everybody wanted him there on the team, so I think he's another like good locker room pick. But it did it felt a little weird that he's the only live guy because there was a Bryson out there that could have made the team. There was, we'll say, even like a Taylor Gooch that had a lot of great play out in the, the live golf spectrum. How do you guys feel there? Yeah, I think the Brooks selection is just fine. I think Brooks gets along with these guys great. They're all still generally very good friends. We know Brooks has been playing great golf, and I think that he is in that similar conversation of why you pick JT and why you pick Sam Burns is once you get him on that stage, he's not going to crumble. He's only going to play better. Yeah, and I think Brooks is the exception when it comes to the live golfers. Like, I feel like he still stays in contact with these guys. They're still friends. He uh, he obviously won a major this year. He performed well in the other majors. I, it was a no-brainer. I think Scotty said it best when they asked if Brooks should be on the team, and he was like, well, how many points was he short? And he didn't even play in how many events this year. So uh, pretty impressive year by him, too, if you're talking about guys who like player of the year talks. I know that's like a PGA Tour thing, but just who had the best season this year. I think Brooks is in that conversation as well, winning a major, winning a live event, whether what you think about that. But the amount of money he made, he probably think he had a pretty good year. Yeah, yeah coming in second at the Masters, right? Yeah, it's interesting, like looking at, you know, speaking of how many events Brooks obviously doesn't play in, in terms of world ranking points. He's 14th in the world ranking, only playing four Majors, you know, yeah. points that get, you know, events that actually get him any world ranking points. And talk about a guy who it's probably tough to line up against going head to head. You know, I don't think you want to do it against Brooks Kepka. You know, and, and there were a lot of storylines about how this team, like these six picks were what they called the boys club, how everyone's just such good friends and that's why they picked them. And I can see where people are coming from with that response. Isn't that it, how Europe had success for so long? I mean, that's my exact point. It's like, yeah, it does feel like maybe Keegan probably played a little better and Cam Young probably played a little better and Bryson's probably even playing that good. But most of Europe's success, especially on home turf over the years, has been from picking Westwood and picking Poulter, who are guys that you know play well in the Ryder Cup and are great clubhouse guys and the camaraderie's off the charts. So I don't blame Zach Johnson taking that approach with this team. Yeah, because, I mean, as much as the final day of the Ryder Cup, you can win it. You know, we've seen that happen. We saw Europe come make a huge comeback on U.S. soil and and win the Ryder Cup because of the you know Sunday singles. But you can very much so lose in those first couple of days where there's a lot of points out there, and it's not a one on one game. It is a team situation. So having someone out there that you like can pick you up and keep the vibes high. You know that that's big. You know, we've seen it even like in events when we just play with each other. We're playing together. If the vibes get down on one team they're just they're done kind of situation so being able to have someone that you enjoy being with it's it's a big thing I was actually just thinking about that like in a personal setting if I were to be asked to play a 2v2 match and I got to pick between dub and maybe someone who was playing a little better golf than dub I think I'd pick dub because I know that hurts I I know what his well in the same category (laughs) of like scratch golfers I think I would much much be much happier playing with dub knowing he's got birdies in his bag we're going to ride each other. We're going to play up to each other's skill level versus putting me with someone who's maybe playing a little bit better golf, but I don't know that well. I'd take dub 10 out of 10 times in that situation. And like, and if we look at the last Ryder Cup where overall those vibes were high, everybody was having a good time, the U.S. team pretty much won that in those first two days. Yeah. And then they only needed like three points on Sunday to you know lock it up or whatever. So. You know, if you can get that kind of performance out of them, which, I mean, I don't think we're going to have that quite dominance that we thought going into the year, but if you get, you know, some vibes high, anything could happen. So we compared Sam Burns to Cam Young as kind of like the young guns, and, you know, Sam Burns was picked, and I think we can kind of agree and get on board with why he's good for this team. 
I think the other category here outside of Spieth, Morikawa, and Brooks is picking JT. And I think if you wouldn't have picked JT, you probably would have picked Keegan Bradley. And these two guys, what they bring to the table is they're the Ryder Cup vets. They've played in a lot of match play events. And we know JT was picked, quote unquote, the boys club. But for camaraderie, I think Keegan even came out kind of saying like, He's a little pissed off. He's like, yeah, I'm not in the boys club, quote unquote. I'm just, I played a better year than JT. I mean, he wasn't calling JT out specifically, but he did play a better year than JT. He probably would have been a very good selection to put on this team. But in the same argument, Zach Johnson's just picking guys. He thinks that pair up well, that keep the vibes high, that can come out and make a ton of birdies. I mean, JT is a clubhouse leader. I know Keegan has had a lot. I, I don't know if he's had success in the Ryder Cup, but he has Ryder Cup experience. He definitely, yeah. definitely had a better year than JT, but he also had a better year than probably Jordan, I would say. Yeah, a lot agreed. of these other guys who uh, have just been stalwarts for us at the Ryder Cup. And I feel like, like I said, once again, with the people like Harmon, Wyndham Clark on the team, even Brooks like coming in kind of like, I don't know, not really playing with these guys all season. You need those locker room guys. You need those leaders because without him, you're relying on – well, Jordan, I guess, but like without JT, you're relying on like Scheffler to be the leader, which I'm not really confident in. So I, I don't know. I like the pick. I think you need him there. I think especially when you got Brian Harmon and, and Wyndham Clark already automatically qualifying. You know they're playing good golf, but you need to build a team around them that's going to inspire confidence. They got, I mean, they were handcuffed, if, if you're really being honest. And as much as people like Keegan, generally speaking, he, he had one win this year. Great. home. It was his you know, home event up in Connecticut, all that kind of stuff. Historically, he's not really been that dominant of a golfer, so it's not like he has a stellar Ryder Cup experience. He doesn't have that much Ryder Cup. He's been on what, maybe two teams at best, and yeah, his record's think, not great. Yeah, not good. So it's it's not like, despite you're playing a little bit of that, you know, maybe higher level golf. I don't even think it was that by that much. I think JT was maybe like 14th or 15th in the standings, and um, Keegan was 12th. Or 11th, you know, it wasn't like a huge, huge gap there. And you're right, we've seen there's a reason that you would put JT and Tiger together in a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup setting because you know they have that fire and they you know get excited and you know, you've seen that he's shown that role and everybody already knows he's like Tiger's boy, so he's almost there in that same kind of sense to get that same kind of vibe and intensity there. I can't like you had to bring him. I think Zach Johnson said it best when he said you can't leave a JT at home. Do you think when they're talking about who should be picked and who shouldn't be picked, they look at it like within the past month, which is I think what a lot of people are doing, like, oh, Keegan, he finished well at the at East Lake. He won recently. Lucas Glover, he's been on fire lately. That's what I, Those are the people that everyone's talking about. But if you look like at the two years since the last Ryder Cup was played, JT won a major. Sam Burns won three times last year and won the match play this year. Like, these guys have had success over those past two years. So are you evaluating over that span or are you evaluating based on who's playing the best right now? And that's what this team is. This team is best over the past two years, without a doubt. Nobody else even makes the cut when it comes to looking at two-year performance. This is the team. The other thing I saw, which I thought was funny, and I'm not sure if the guy said this or if it was a quote taken from another thing, but they were talking about how like JT's a great clubhouse guy. And the guy goes, well, it's like a European guy. He goes, well, what does JT do in the clubhouse? Does he do like make magic tricks or does he like, what does he just a, does he pass think, out booze to I everybody? Think, I think it was JT that <laughs> Phil kicked his leg over in that one video. <laughs> They're like, define a clubhouse guy. Like, what does he bring to the table? It's hilarious. Can we talk about, before we move on, can we talk about like pairings a little bit? Like, who do you guys think is going to be paired up with who? Obviously, it feels like Scheffler Burns has to be a pairing at this point because I feel like Scheffler <laughs> pulled Burns onto the team. And then you know Xander and Cantley. Xander will be and Cantley. I would. The interesting one to me is going to be the Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas combo. Like yeah. how that plays out. I think you got to have pair two of those three guys together, like each of the each of the sessions. I won't be surprised if you see Justin Thomas play only like one, maybe two at best. Like yeah. whereas usually yeah. he's guys playing every single thing. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him play a little bit less because of like the form he's been in or whatever, but just enough to like get familiar with the course so you can then have a, a chance to go out and get that, you know, intensity on the singles. I so, want to see JT go out early on the first day. Mm-hmm. Just like, yep, we set picked you. Go set the tone for us. This is what we picked you for. Like JT and Brooks. Like, put them together, let sure. them run, let the style. That would probably be a great pairing, actually. It would be. So who are you guys, who are the guys that are going to try to, they're going to try to put in every single match, right? Scotty, Cantley, and Shawflay will probably play together every chance they get. I think Max Homa's got to get a nod in a lot of these matches. He's playing really good. 
He'd pair He's up well. He's also liked by everyone. Yeah, so agreed. It'd work anywhere. I think a Max Homa, Brian Harmon grouping would be really solid. Max Homa, Brian Harmon. Maybe. I think Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon are going to be together a lot. And they, like, it sounds weird, but like Wyndham can be a little erratic. Brian Harmon's that dead straight guy down the middle. Kind of, it, they actually make sense together as a pairing. Max and uh, Colin have the Cal connection. Yeah, there. That's I don't know if they, how their games match up, but that's just like two guys who are friends and know each other for I like that time. pairing a lot. That's a pairing that's going to just beat you to death with fairways and greens, and it's going to be hard to get ahead of them. But I also like Colin paired with someone who's, like, really good at putting. I don't know, Harmon, Spieth. I think, I personally think Putting might be an issue for the guys. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much Wyndham Clark is going to play. I think we probably get him out there once, maybe twice out of the first four matches, and then obviously in singles. I don't think this course is going to suit his game very well. No, the one thing I'll say about Wyndham is like, we know he's a little erratic off the tee, but I saw him hit a three wood the other day that carried like 320. So I think if he can play this course a little bit more like conservatively, still hitting a three wood over 300 yards is conservative. So I it's guess like when you tell me to play three wood off the tee and not use my driver. Right. I think that Wyndham, if he, if he does uses a little course knowledge here, tries to play within himself, I think he'll be pretty good here because his iron game and his putting is really good. I stand by a Spieth Harmon pairing. I think that's a tough team to beat just because they're going to be oh all God. over the place and Ugh. just be making pars and birdies. And you're going to be like, how the hell did they just do that? My, my only thing when it comes to Jordan with people, like, I feel like you have to somewhat put him with people that are used to him and Michael together. Cause like it's a, that's a whole thing. And you guys talk about it all the time and how like you hate it and all that kind of stuff. And some people love it, me. But. I think there are probably a lot of people out there are like, what the fuck is going on? And like, it throws them off. So I think you have to be very careful with that. It's a great point. And getting used to Michael and then also getting used to the fact that Jordan's like literally never out of the hole. Like he yeah. might hit his drive somewhere that didn't even think was on property. And then all of a sudden he's got a 10 foot birdie putt. So a guy that's pretty mentally strong, like Max Homa and Jordan Spieth, I think could be a really good pairing as well. Oh, then the other question I had was, so I think there's a real possibility for this. I don't know. What do you guys think? Cam Young and Keegan Bradley this is a really big moment for them not getting picked for this Ryder Cup team. I think they 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 qualified technically based on points. They both had pretty good years. They're playing great golf. Keegan specifically is kind of toward the twilight of his career. Are these a couple guys that you could see going to live? I mean, Cam Young, talk about a young rising star, has pledged his allegiance to the PGA Tour, but this could be like the cherry on top for him to be like, I'm not part of the boys club. I want to go make some money. And I think Keegan is a prime candidate for that kind of guy that live targets where he has a little bit of his prime left, but he's not exactly killing it on the PGA Tour. I mean, I think Keegan is the candidate there. I mean, he's there's already a couple, you know, Jordan guys over there, all that kind of stuff. True. He's I think he's your candidate. I don't think Cam Young you'll see make that jump because I think it, Zach Johnson probably called him and was like, hey, we got forced to take Harmon and Wyndham Clark. We get, We couldn't do anything about that. This is the group of people. Scotty needs Sam. Like it was, he was probably very straightforward about what happened, and like it's, it's just they ran out of picks. Is all it was. It's so, also, it's an interesting question too because we don't know what the whole PIF PGA thing's going to look like in a year true. or two. So there may not really be a need to go to live. But I do think that Keegan is a prime candidate. He's playing good enough golf where he'll attract fans. And you're right, Bubba. He's a likable guy. Bubba and HV3 over there as Jordan guys. I mean, they could he could be a range goat in a heartbeat. Kick, yeah. t- kick Thomas great, Peters great off. Great range goat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that does it for pro golf this past week and a little bit of the Ryder Cup talk. Let's jump into BPO golf, big player golf this past weekend. I got to play in the Frederick City Amateur. Speaking of pro golf. Seriously. Saturday and Sunday at Clustered Spires. You see Spires. those championship tees? Woo! Yeah, it's always a fun event. So if any, if, if anyone has never heard of it, the Frederick City Am is a is an amateur event. They play at Clustered Spires. They flight it, so there's a championship flight. I think this year, everyone that had a, a handicap under, like, two and a half played in the championship flight. And then they kind of go up in, like, increments of five. So two to seven would have played in the first flight, second flight, third flight, so on. Team second flight. It's an incredible experience. I mean, I've played in it a few times before. Seeing everyone out there, and my dad played in the senior CDM one time. <laughs> the C- and it was just fun to see, like, you know, my dad probably shoots 85 to 90, but seeing him take, like, every one-foot putt seriously and playing strategic on holes, it's a really interesting experience. And I have to say, uh, I had a, a pretty lackluster Saturday, just didn't make any putts, texted the gang, said, hey, Need everyone out there on Sunday. Need your guys' support. The whole group, Colin, Tully, Ken, Eric, all the women. Mickey was there. Mickey was there. Um, Baby Struss was there. there. You guys came out. You were there for the front nine. I mean, I played really great on the front nine. Uh, When I asked you guys to come out, I was like, okay, this could go like two 
two completely separate ways. It could be like, what I was anticipating was going to happen was like, these guys are here and I know they only want me to succeed. So I'm like, this is going to be the fire I need to play good. But then part of me in the back of my mind was like, oh shit, now everyone's here. If I just like shit a brick, it's going to be like, oh, they're never going to let me live it down. So, but luckily you guys are there for the front nine. I think I shot even on the front nine, had a few birdie looks, had like a par five little mishap, but all in all, I had an incredible time with you guys there. I couldn't have been happier. And uh, yeah, we finished up Sunday, shot 74, a couple over with a little rules controversy, uh, but all in all a great week. And I want to hear your guys' opinion. So you walked along for the front nine in a, in a gaggle of like 15 people, the biggest, the biggest gallery that the US, that the Frederick City Am has ever seen following one specific player. When we're on the first tee and they say my name, you guys are just like gawking and yelling from under the clubhouse. And all the guys I'm playing with turn around. They're like, what the hell? And then we pipe one down the middle, and it's like, let's get this son bitch going. It was so fun to be out there following you, Ben. I mean, we're used to... Well, not used to, but like we've been to professional golf tournaments where you're following along, you're seeing the course, and that's pretty cool. But to like have a stake in the game, like I didn't, we, we didn't have a stake in the game, but like oh, that's sure our plan did. to that's know plan for next year, to we're like, gonna have actual stakes. Have someone that you're like actively rooting for on every single shot, every single putt was just incredible. And like Jenny, my girlfriend, came along and she like doesn't know anything about golf. This is probably like the first time she's ever walked on an actual golf course. And by the third hole, she's like, she's like wincing and like Ben, ben missed a short putt and she's like turning her head in like despair. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. Yeah. I mean, it was phenomenal. Like you said, we've been to your professional events and like, obviously we have our favorite players and stuff to watch, but it didn't compare to watching Ben. Like some of that we talk to daily that we see two, three, four times a week kind of situation that it was just, you're just that much more vested in whatever was happening. And it was just it was a better like experience almost than some of those you know professional events. If maybe they could get some beer tents or something out there, that'd be great because I got real thirsty after about a half a hole. But it was just it was so much fun. I think Ken and I were talking about it. It was like it was this is better than like when we went to like the LPGA, arguably better than like some of the Presidents Cup experiences, just because of like having that actual person you know playing in an event. Just imagine like what you know we see you know with Jack is at an event and seeing. Uh, Denny play, you know, that kind right, of like a good friend. Yeah. So it's, it was, it was a great experience. I think a lot of us were talking about, Oh, we'd got to actually go ahead and actually play in this next year. Although that may kind of take away from the fun of, you know, following Ben and, you know, doing that, but definitely was worthwhile to come out there. And we like, we all know what Ben's capable of. So when he steps up <laughs> to that first tee and just absolutely smokes one down the middle and you hear other people like around like the tee box in the clubhouse going, Oh my. Like, and we're like, yeah, you just wait. Welcome to the show. You ever seen something like this? It was great. It was great. Cause I remember it was on hole three. I think it clustered that usually is a par five, but they, the tees moved up a little bit. And so it was playing as a par four for the uh, city am. And they were all like, all the guys Ben's playing with are like, man, this still feels like a par five. And they're like, well, it's probably always a par four for this guy. And then Ben steps up, absolutely crushes a drive and is legit like 75 yards in front of everyone else in his group. All of them hit like decent drives in the fairway, all that kind of stuff. And it's just like Ben's got a 130-yard shot in. And they're all like, what the fuck is going on? That's when I turned to my dad and I was like, dad, I think we're really underperforming here because I'm hitting a pitching wedge in this far forward and that guy's hitting a three-wood. <laughs> so I'm like, I think we need to set our standards a little lower here. Also, like, yeah, you said it, the guys you're playing with are hitting like these re like really long, like low iron shots into some of these greens. And the course was set up really hard. It was long. The greens are obviously firm. They had the pins tucked in odd places. But Ben is, like, hitting wedges on every single hole and, like, zipping it back past the <laughs> hole. And we're like, oh, my God, this isn't even, like, fair. I think there was one hole where Ben hit it, and it was maybe a yard past the flag, and it spun all the way off the green, like, right past the flag where I thought it was going in at first. It was just like, what is going on here? I think the ups and downs of that front nine were just, like, so fun to look back on. So, right, we par one. Number two, the little par three. I guess big it was, putt, big it was putt. playing 180, but I, I think it was, uh, you know, back pin, downhill. little downhill. I, I hit seven. I probably should have hit eight, knowing I was a little amped up. Pull it a little left. It kicks a big bounce, jumps like 15 yards off the back left of the green. We have a pretty tough pitch shot there. Hit it like a, you know, I probably landed it like three yards short of where I needed to land it. It rolls out like 25 feet below the hole. Line up the putt. Larry comes over. 
He's like, what do you see? I go, I got this. Drain the putt, and the crowd goes fucking nuts. It was just like, that was probably my favorite golf moment of all time. I mean, I could hear Mickey going, let's go, Ben. <laughs> so good. I'm glad you brought up Larry, because him being there was phenomenal content. <laughs> Larry was serving zero purpose, but just riding around in the car with you. Like, you're just, like, tossing him your clubs, and he's cleaning them off for you. There was one point where you did, like, the clap, like, it was very tin cup-ish. It wasn't... You didn't lose a ball or anything, but you're on the green, hand out, waiting for the ball to be <laughs> put into your hand from him kind of situation. And Larry's just like, a couple times comes by, he's like, I'm just kind of here. I don't know what's really going on. And at one point, Larry loses his phone on whole like <laughs> like fell out of the cart. <laughs> and Dara's just like, I found this. I don't know whose it is. Well, the best part is, so on Saturday, I wanted to walk. I was like, I don't know. It's a real flat course. Let's try and walk. Because when you walk... Like you get to play at your own pace a little bit more when you, especially like knowing I'm probably the longest hitter in the group. When I ride in a cart, we get up to all the balls and then I got to probably wait five or 10 minutes for everyone to hit for the green to clear. But when me and Larry are walking up the fairway, usually everyone's hit by the time we get to our ball. So I like the pace of walking, but I tell you what, I was tired by the end of the round. I wasn't as tired as I thought I'd be, but Larry was absolutely (laughs) gassed. So going into Sunday, I was like, okay, we got to figure out a way to get a cart, but they're really stingy on the carts. They were like, only two carts per group is what they say. So, you know, if as long as someone's walking, that means that me and Larry can have our own cart. And the best part of that Sunday round was that me and Larry were riding. We got our own cart. And then the other kid in our group, probably under 35, also had a cart. He was probably about 12. And then the other guys in the group were walking, and they were both well over the age of, like, 50. <laughs> it's like, okay, the young kids get the carts while the old guys walk. That was hilarious. The, my favorite moment between Ben and Larry was on the second hole – they're standing there on the tee box, part three. Larry gets up there early before Ben's. Ben's back there, like, picking a club, and Larry's up there shooting <laughs> shooting the hole with his rangefinder. And he comes back, and he stands next to Ben, and he obviously tells him the yardage. And Ben just goes like this and gets the rangefinder from him and goes and shoots it himself. <laughs> like, didn't trust him at all. Well, because I think it, yesterday or on Saturday it was playing, like, 155 to the front, and then he said it was playing 180 to the back pin. I'm like, no fucking way. Like, this guy definitely got the trees in the back, and I went up, and it was 180. I should have trusted him. So can, can you talk us about the uh, rules controversy a little bit? I believe it was on 10. Um, I was I was getting a beer and a hot dog courtesy of your, your lovely mother um, in the clubhouse, so I missed, missed the tee shot. But can you, can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, I would say I'm not going to throw any shade on this rules controversy because I think everyone's kind of entitled to their own opinion. I think I would have treated it differently if I was the other guys. Now, I'm obviously coming from a fairly biased perspective, but number 10 at Clustered, you know you got the, the OB left, the internal OB left with the trees. I hit a huge tee shot that draws about 10 yards into the trees, and I'm like, ah, damn, it's gone. Hit a provisional right down the middle. Go up to the guy who's a spotter checking for out of bounds, and he says, yeah, you guys pointed left, but I didn't hear a single thing hit a tree. And I kind of had an idea. I was like, I hit that one pretty good. I might have got over the trees, right? Go over the trees, and there's really nowhere this ball could have landed but in the little pond that's in front of 11 green. Now, it gets really tricky when you don't see a ball or can confirm a ball went into a hazard. You kind of have to either play it as a lost ball or the entire group has to agree that it went in the water. So I play two balls out, one taking a drop from the hazard and then the other one playing the provisional tee shot, make a five with the drop, make a six with the provisional tee shot. We get into the scoring area. And I guess the the part of it that makes me the most upset is that when I was taking that drop, the younger kid goes, yeah, you know your ball better than anyone. If you think it went in the water, I believe you. And then one of the other guys in the group kind of meanders Keith around. Mitchell ought to be? No, the other guy. Oh, okay. So then the green other shirt. yeah, green shirt guy kind of goes, uh, yeah, I guess it could have gone in the hazard. And he goes, but if you think it went in the hazard, once again, you know best. I'm going to go with what you say. And then there was the, the fourth guy kind of goes, you need to play two balls because we can't confirm it went in the water. We'll ask the rules official after the round. So we get into the scoring tent. Me kind of knowing that this ruling will go in my favor if the majority of the group can agree that they trust my ruling that it went in the water. So I'm kind of thinking, okay, the young kid and the green shirt guy both agree that it probably went in the water because that's what I think. And then we know that the fourth guy was like, he probably isn't on board with it. Well, we get to the scoring tent and green shirt completely flips his story. He's oh, like, son of a he man. goes, yeah, actually, you know, now that I think about it, I can't really confirm it went in the water. So then this, the, the head pro says, yeah, Ben, I think unfortunately you're going to have to play the provisional ball. So I wrote down the six, threw my scorecard in, kind of pissed off. And then the head pro comes over to me and like shakes my hand and was like, kind of like he knew that it probably wouldn't have went, it should have gone the other way. He's like, you know, sorry for how that happened, but I appreciate that Scott took the time to say 
you know, that, that shit kind of happens. And I know you're not lying. We, sh- we, we would have liked to have gone with what you suggested. Yeah. What, what sucks is that like, that is very reminiscent of the experience we would have on just any average weekend. Like, Oh, you don't see where your ball lands. So you take a, you take a drop where you think it roughly would have been. And in an event where they actually have a spotter out there, specifically for this purpose (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like i got nothing for you like it's like what what why even here at this point i know part of me was thinking like okay if the spotter like his job really should be to to stand at the end of the out of bounds and if he hears it rattle in the trees it's out unless it bounces back in so then he can also keep an eye on the backside of it to see if it splashes in the water but i guess to that credit many people aren't probably hitting it that far so i understand where he was they needed two spotters they need one at the top of the hill and one at the bottom of the hill if you're gonna be honest but just a good example of like you know, I am not that in tune with golf rules as much as I used to be. Like, especially in college, man, we used to have to study that book. So we knew every single way we could get an advantage. I don't know it that well anymore, but I knew this one was going to be a little tricky. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, it didn't go my way. We At this point, I think it, it was just me, Eric, and then your your wife and your mother stayed for the back nine for a while. And Patty and Dara were so mad at <laughs> the Keith Mitchell guy that, you know, one of you look like they were bitter for the next like three holes like this. Oh, of course. Cause he's only, you know, two shots behind Ben at the time. Cause Dara's keeping all the scores on her phone and they were just like, yeah, he serves you right when he lost his ball, like two holes later. <laughs> they were so mad. It was great. Yeah. I think looking back on it, he probably didn't realize that he was making a ruling based on that. He was probably trying to beat me. And if I was in his shoes, if I know that a player wasn't really trying to cheat or be egregious on a ruling, I would just side with the player. So that's probably what upset me the most is that he decided to take a firm stance against me saying like, oh, this guy's trying to gain an advantage. I'm like, no, dude, I'm like, unless it's Ken trying to hit out of someone's backyard. That was, yeah, that would, that's that's a different situation. (laughs) But all in all, let's talk about some other stuff. So then, Right, we get up and down on that par three. That was an amazing, uh, the putt, just the reaction from the crowd was just like, that got me pumped. So then one of the not so great stories is we get on the par five fifth, hit a great tee shot right down the middle. I find that tee shot to be kind of challenging because if you draw it too much left, it's going in the weeds and then you're probably having to hit a provisional because you can't find it. And we were all standing there knowing that, but we couldn't, we couldn't really see you on the tee, but we saw you swing and we just saw you kind of pick it quick, quick to the tee, pick <laughs> nice. it up and we're like, oh yeah, that's good. So then we get up to the second shot, and I'm sitting there with Larry, and we think we got 260 pin, <clears throat> but the pin's all the way in the back. So I'm like, we probably only got like 220 to the front. And I'm like, I want to go for it. I'm going to hit hybrid here. I want to go for it. But then, like, what didn't really factor into my mind is that we had to wait around for like, you, oh, my God. Why? It was like five or ten minutes. And by the time that wait was over, I should have just pulled a four iron and, like, laid up to the front of the green because I just know, like, waiting over that second shot for so long, you got trouble right, trouble left. End up duck hooking it into the the shit on the left, but we get past it a little bit, kind of a weird lie, kind of chip it up to the fringe of the green, hit a chip that doesn't roll down the slope, and then three putt from there. And that's when Jenny did the, oh my God, she <laughs> turned away. Like, oh, I can't believe you missed that. <laughs> that's where like we, all the boys should have walked out and just been chatting. You're keeping, keeping your mind distracted while you were waiting and then instead of standing over that ball. Later in the round, they said that they thought it was funny that even once I made my putt for double bogey, that every, most of the people in the crowd still clapped. And they, were like, <laughs> they thought that was really funny. I was like, yeah. Half of them were like, way to get out of there. Way to get of, out yeah, of there. Half of them were cheering me on and half of them were like low-key just throwing some shade. Like, oh, nice double. <laughs> Big bounce back birdie, birdie though right. on the next hole. Yeah, because you, you push that one right, you're kind of stuck in the trees and like then stick it to like 10 feet, it looked like. That was a good Michael and Jordan moment because I'm like, Larry, there's a gap there. And I know if I put a sand wedge on the back foot, I can kind of get through there. We got like 90 yards. So I'm like, I was hit a nice little smooth sand wedge through that gap. I hit it and it goes up. It catches like probably a leaf or so. And I have no idea where it's going. It kicks a nice little favorable bounce back onto the green. We make like a 15 footer that probably broke three feet. But yeah, that bounce back birdie was huge. That led me into the next six holes. I felt like I had confidence after that. Yeah, it was it was fun because after that hole, you know, the next hole is right next to it. So we're all standing up in the trees. I think it was Mickey and Ken kind of walk up to where your ball was like, how the hell did he get out of here? What, what gap was he seeing? <laughs> Ken's doing some practice swings. Like, what would I would hit a two iron here, probably. Then next part three, like, I played that part three really well all week. That's a really long hole from the tips. It played over 200 yards to that middle right pin, pulled a six iron and hit it like 15 feet left of the pin. That was probably my, probably my best shot of the day, right? One of those shots where it's like long part three, you're thinking just get it on the green and two putt. End up getting like, you know, 15, 18 feet from the hole with a realistic look for birdie. I was pretty happy with that. That was a dart. I will say one of my favorite memories of the day, though, was going back to that that par five. Uh, 
Jenny is terrified of any sort of ball coming anywhere near her. <laughs> and I had found one in the woods and she's standing next to the tree and I just throw it against the tree right after. <laughs> and she freaks the hell out. Unbelievable. And she was just so upset for like 20 minutes. This was five minutes after she walked past a groundhog and was worried <laughs> I was going to attack her. Jenny sent me videos that she took after and she goes, you may not want these. I think they caused you bad luck. I was like, Jenny, you can't cause me bad luck. And thanks for the videos. But yeah, you guys leave at nine. Tully, Eric, and Dara and my mom stick around. We have an okay start to the back nine, right? Ten, a little bit weird with the rules. You were even when Eric and I left. Yep. And then probably just getting a little tired. Well, 16 was playing only 228, but chunked a four iron kind of short of the green. Hit like a little spinny wedge up that hit like an inch on the fringe. So it came up like 20 feet short versus bouncing up to the pin. 17 hit another nuke tee shot. In fact, 17 and 18 hit great tee shots. And the guys in my group were just like hats off. We've never seen a guy drive a ball like that all day. Because I hit the driver great. Which after the first round, my mom, I asked her like, how'd you think the round went? She goes, yeah, I think your driver was a little broken. And I was like, oh, it's like 50-50. That's probably pretty normal. And then Sunday we go out and have a great day with the driver. But late in the round on Sunday, just kind of getting a little tired. Probably had a three putt on 17, bogeyed 16. So all in all, 74, three over with that little rules controversy. Yeah, not my best day. I couldn't really get like a, I felt like the whole back nine, I was grinding a little bit, never really had like a makeable birdie putt inside of 10 feet, but it's because people left. It, I think he, it is. He needed the crowd. I think that, that, that proves the point that you guys coming was actually really beneficial <laughs> for me. Once you left, it felt like maybe I wasn't concentrating enough, like getting over those 35 footers for birdie, Knowing like I got you guys watching, like I want to just put it close, get the get the par. I probably just lost focus a little bit and three putted. But all in all, a great week. I'm excited. I want you guys to play in it next year, so I can st- so I can tag along. Especially because the flights play at different times. So I noticed a lot of times when people would finish, they'd run back out to the golf course to watch their boys finish, like up the back nine, or they're just teeing off and we can walk along. So I'm excited to see you guys playing it in the coming years, and we can all support each other. Got to get official handicaps for that baby. Got to get official handicaps. Maybe Larry will play in the senior next year, too. We can all stick. We can all tag along. And I'll caddy for Larry. I caddied for Larry one time, and I was, like, taking videos and sending them to mom. And it'd be, like, a four-footer, and he'd miss it, like, three cups left. And my mom's like, stop filming that. You already caddy for Larry every week at the league. It's so. true. You know, that's my favorite part of the league. It's like, I don't know. We're, like, maybe six holes in. Larry goes, Ben, give me a read on this. I'm like, I don't know if I should be doing that. I should give everyone reads. I just need it to be in the playoffs, a you versus Larry matchup where he's like, Ben, what do you think he's going to do? Yeah, right? Yeah, Larry's asking for reads. Meanwhile, on the eighth hole out of nine, he's always saying, well, who's got the snake now? Yeah, he's, he's just trying to avoid having the snake. So let's let's talk a little bit about the league. We got a, we're done the regular season. Me, Tully, and Colin all are top eight, so we get buys in the first week. Dubby's got a big match against another Larry, Larry Sternberg, in the first round. Ken and Josh got buys from this week of the podcast, though. So. Yeah, yeah. Josh is not here because he's out practicing and getting ready for, for week one of the league playoffs. Ken will be in the rubber chicken. He's also got to prepare for that. Always got to show up first. <laughs> but all in all, how you guys feeling going into the into the playoffs? You feeling good about your game? Not at all. I couldn't feel worse about my game. You'll probably win it all then. That's <laughs> usually how it works. Fingers crossed. That'd be great. After JP somehow edged me out by a point to you know be in the money I for did the regular see that. season. So, I mean, this is the second controversy where JP somehow ends up, you know, beating someone from the podcast. So I don't know how much we can trust this commissioner. Anymore. I do think we have to mention the fact that we played a little Bennett last week. And on the first hole, JP hits his drive like way right on another hole. Says he steps in a gopher hole, which I assume he did. I'm not calling him out for that. But his ankle was literally like the size of a softball. He took a Tommy Copperfit elbow sleeve and put it on his ankle. It wasn't even tight. It actually looked like a fashion statement versus actually any, providing any compression. It was hilarious. And then proceeded to send us feet pics later. Yeah, in, in the league recap email, he wanted to sing his praises about how he got into third by one point on this ankle. And he sent us like three ankle feet pics. It's like, we don't need this in our email, JP. It's on my phone forever. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I got it by the skin of my teeth, I guess. I was given a 10% chance on last week's podcast to make it. And I pull, I was able to pull through last week by just not playing. Not playing. You <laughs> showed a lot of perseverance. <laughs> but I, I kind of think I needed a week off. I was getting a little burnt out. I kind of live and die by how well I'm putting. And lately, I have not been putting well at all. I got a little of Scotty Scheffler mental overthinking the breaks, I think. So I think a, a week away will be good for me. 
Yeah, I would say when I gave Colin a 10% chance, that's because statistically, <laughs> when you play Stableford, you play nine holes with your handicap, you should get two points for every net par. So if you play to your handicap, you get 18 per nine, technically. And I think Colin only had like a 25 to 30 point lead over the three guys chasing him. And so all three of those guys failed to shoot within four or five of their handicap on each nine. So Colin gets in by the skin of his teeth. But And I'm excited to see you guys play in the playoffs. Now we got buys. We can rest up a little bit. We go watch Dubby on Thursday. I think we got we got a strong contingency in the playoffs this year. Maybe we can take one down. I was going to ask, are, are you guys planning to play on Thursday? Or are you guys just planning to watch? I'll, I'll be there. there. Yeah, I'm playing. Yeah, I was, play- I was planning to, but uh, I mean, I feel like we've, a lot of times, either we've been away or all that kind of stuff. We haven't actually been around for that first week of the playoffs. We typically get buys because... We do you know, typically get buys. Uh, other than Dub, obviously, but... I think we'll be there. I don't know what full we'll play or want to watch Dub. I think we'll... Probably do both. Maybe get out early and then yeah. come back and watch a few. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Uh, JP was asking me in an email after he tried to tell me I owed him money for the league dues. <laughs> and then I immediately responded, wrong. I've won enough. I don't know. My favorite shit. thing about Tully is, yeah, everyone starts the year of the league and we have to give JP a hundred bucks. That's everyone's buy-in. But Tully decides to not pay. And then every time he wins a contest, I'm betting he, on he, just, me. he just deducts from that hundred he owes. So JP goes, got to collect. Tully goes, nope, I won a hundred dollars for the contest this year. You, I owe you nothing. And I'm proud of that, damn it. So good. So good. All right, we'll keep you up to date on how the playoffs go in the league. If you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at Big Players Only Pod. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.